gentlemen and other fellow humans welcome back to discovery debrief a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in star trek strange new worlds discovery lower decks and more i'm co-host chris clown i'm joined by the memorable the high lord Ciserius cicero holmes yes i am starring in star trek for the search for zach <laughs> There you go. We we missed that one. And I think he did too. Uh, and again, we're very pleased to be joined by debris friend and Trexpertise scholar, Mr. Kyle Sullivan. Kyle? Uh, so, so what you're telling me is that I fly the ship? <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm the pilot? Excellent. Uh, yeah, this is gonna. I think this is going to be a fun one to talk about. So we're actually just going to roll right into our episode discussion since, you know, peek behind the curtain. We're recording two episodes back to back because we we missed a week. So if you want to hear our check in as well as words about the recently passed late great Manny Cotto, please listen to debrief number 98. But without further ado, let's move into our discussion about episode four of Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two, Among the Lotus Eaters. And do I know how to cut the music off? I guess so. Uh, <laughs> so, Captain Pike upsets Captain Battelle of the USS Cayuga by suggesting that their relationship has harmed her career. She leaves the ship, and the Enterprise, meanwhile, is sent to planet Rigel 7, the site of an earlier unsuccessful mission. So we'll get to Rigel 7 in a second. This is a fascinating callback and a good use of... Uh, of previous material for future storytelling, but Captain Battelle still no first name, which honestly annoys me a little bit. Like, can, can you give her a name please? Just so that we don't have to just call her Battelle. But anyway, um, she's been something of, she's on been on something of a roller coaster with Captain Pike and all her appearances on the show. She was there in the very first episode of strange new worlds. And she's moved from being a pretty reliable, uh, not only romantic partner, but confidant for, for Captain Pike, as well as an antagonist, which we saw for, for Commander Una in the, the trial episode. And now she is a scorned fellow captain who not only has to deal with the, um, the personal ramifications of potentially losing Captain Pike, but also a rather uh, dunderheaded professional assessment of her career by Captain Pike. Um, what are we thinking about Captain Patel so far? How do you guys assess her as a partner for Pike, as an antagonist for Una, and now uh, in the role that she's in now where she's kind of justified in being a little pissed off? Uh, Kyle? Uh, I think it's interesting. I, I like yeah, I like the serialized storytelling generally that DS9 did where it's like kind of episodic but kind of serious. And I love the thread we're getting with her and the repercussions from the second episode were really cool but my feelings on her i mean she's interesting the actor is doing a nice job 
but I like Una's take on on her is like, well, I like her for you. Yeah. And as as someone who's in Pike's orbit, it's interesting and how Pike is dealing with that is interesting and um yeah. And I don't th- I think Pike is actually a little bit justified uh, you know, maybe she is being held back because of the trial and because of his association or something. I think, you know, if you're in an organization like that, you can't just like you can't have these relationships very easily. So that is an sure. interesting character dynamic for them to, to churn through. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't care that she didn't have a first name. She just has, right, she's, no, she's cool. It's just, just, she, she'll be more of a person. If you give her a first name for me, that's all I'm, that's all I want. That's all. But, <laughs> and I guess I'm, maybe I'm a little too annoyed that her memory alpha page is just Patel. You know, I think, I think she's a character with enough credence now that she deserves more. That's, that's what I think. But, uh, <laughs> Cicero, what do you make of, uh, of Battelle so far and how she's been on this kind of roller coaster of a journey adjacent to the crew of the enterprise? I, I love this dynamic. Um, it's, it reminds me of James Carville and his wife. Uh, what's her name? Mary, Mary Maitland, Mary Matlin. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Mary, Mary Matalin. That's her name. Um, so, so James Carville famously worked with and around built the Clintons um, for uh, the Clinton reelection or, or for the Clinton election. And she, his wife was working for, George H.W. Bush's re-election against Bill Clinton. So these two were literally battling it out and still fa- figured out a way to be married and stay married for a long time. Him, a, a staunch Democrat, she is staunch Republican. Um, and uh, like, I, I see that dynamic here, right? Like these, these two ideologically, even though they're, you know, they're working for the same team, just like James Carville and his wife, right? Like the team of America. Um, these, these guys are working for the same team in, in Starfleet, but they're coming at it. They're, they're coming to it ideologically from different, different places. Um, and, and they're still managing, or at least up until this point, they, they managed to maintain their romantic relationship and 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 not allow their ideological differences to to interfere with their relationship and i think that uh pike the the choice that pike made was one was was in his mind a selfless one mm-hmm. um and i don't know that it necessarily was selfish um and you know and obviously right like it 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 wasn't received the way that he intended it to d- be delivered obviously but but i you know i wonder if there wasn't a little bit of more intentionality between behind what was done in that moment like that he that he was that he hoped the outcome would be what it was. Yeah. Maybe he was thinking she doesn't like wheelchairs. I had to cut this out early. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she I, has no proficiency for Morse code. 
I asked like earlier, I asked Rachel if she thinks that maybe she's sticking around after Pike goes through his accident and uh, neither of us were totally sure. Like we could see it going either way. Maybe they're not a thing by the time that happens, oh, yeah. but yeah. you know, uh, that, that would be a whole other dimension to give Captain Pike credit. I think that he tried to deliver the message in a very caring and compassionate way. Because, of course, that's who he is. But I think where he trips up in the beginning is by not really giving her the appropriate say in how she wants to progress things, mm-hmm. as opposed to what he has clearly already decided to do. Mm-hmm. Like He clearly wanted them to remain friends after he delivers this news, but he failed to account for. I guess a lack of desire on her part to, to, she thought it was worth it, you know, and you know, spoiler alert, he comes around. Um, but I think she was also justified in being a little offended at him making that decision rather unilaterally, Mm -hmm. but that's what a captain does, right? Like that's kind of something that both of them are used to doing, I would assume, but I like a lot. You guys both alluded to it the the allusion to the fact that the only other person who really knows what the other is going through is the other one you know like there's only so many people in this fraternity of starfleet captains and they seem to be a match they're trying to make it work you see calls coming in for both of them at different times when they're trying to share just a few minutes with each other before they have to go off and and do their jobs and that struggle I was rather shocked at how effectively communicated that was in just the first few minutes of the episode. You know, Mm -hmm. that's really efficient storytelling. It was really good. And it does bring things along in a way that I found satisfying. Uh, Kyle, in terms of the storytelling, speaking in your professional capacity, did you think that was an efficient use of the the rather limited screen time there in the beginning? I I think that this episode and the ad aspect Ad Astra per Aspera episode were very excellently directed. Lots of lean uh, storytelling, camera work, cutting out all the boring bits and just getting right to the meat of it really quickly. Like these memory lapses that are happening in this episode, the way that they played with them editing wise, it seems a bit straightforward, but it's like you got, you, you understood exactly what was going on. You got right to the point and you, it was very efficient. It's mm-hmm. very nice. And also, you know, uh, Kim Weston, Marvin Gaye were correct when they said it takes two, baby. So <laughs> Pike needs to listen to some more classics. There you go. I guess so. Cla- and class, probably classical music by that. Classical part. music. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Uh, well, let's uh, move along here. So the Enterprise's ill-fated mission to Rigel 7 was the basis for Captain Pike's immense self-doubt and near retirement as we saw in TOS's first pilot episode, The Cage. Um, Cicero, I'm not sure when the last time you absorbed The Cage was, but did you make that connection in the moment? And did it mean anything to you while you were watching this episode? Um, I thought it was cool. Um, It didn't... I guess I guess the weight of it all didn't strike me in the moment when I was watching the episode. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's fair. You know, I, it, it's like one of, it, it seems to me anyway, just to be kind of one of those things where if you know it, it's, it's cool. And you're like, Oh, it's that yeah. place. Right. Uh, but Kyle, also like, it, I, it's same. I missed it because like, there's so many Rigels being mentioned in Star Trek. Like, it, <laughs> there's a lot it, of it, right. subtitle too many Rigels. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Rigel 14, Rigel nine, Rigel seven. Oh, great. How many people live in this system? A lot. It turns out. So yeah, yeah I just thought, Oh, the Rigel system. We're back. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's like college. You can never leave. Right. <laughs> yeah, I um, just being a, a freak who watches the cage on an alarmingly regular basis. <laughs> I I just kind of went, oh, oh, that's cool because you know the big like brute that they fight, and Pike's got a shield, and he's defending a princess, and it's like, wow, this is a crazy mission already. And now we're getting new information about it, you know, nearly 60 years hence. And in that respect, I think the storytelling purpose in this moment was just like to amplify the the danger that is communicated by, oh, we're going back there. This is the, sh- the planet that almost retired Christopher Pike, basically. So in that respect... That was where I felt like my baggage as a Star Trek fan was helpful, but mm. I don't think it was required for people who may not have made that connection. But I well, did think it was pretty cool. But it also, Chris, um, it also, I think, calls into question whether or not what you learned from the cage was even accurate. Sure. Right? Yeah. Because because what we learn of Rigel 7 is that they don't know about anything about Rigel 7. Yeah. And so like all he remembers is that he didn't have a great time there. And and uh you know, his brain filled in the blanks with oh yeah, there was a princess and I fought the dude and and you know, you and see, then things came right, you know. You and see, then it's, I left. it's like California, like they legalize weed and then no one knows anything. <laughs> right, <you know>? right. <laughs> Everyone's forgetting stuff. They can't yeah. make shields anymore. Well, and, and I mean, and to your point, Cicero, what we actually see of Rigel seven in the cage is a Telosian induced hallucination. So we don't actually see the actual planet. The princess that he's defending is Vina. And it's, uh, so, so, I mean, through that lens, it's sort of like the finale of enterprise, right? Like it could have gone that way, but it also probably didn't necessarily, yeah. And Pike in the cage, I mean, that's one of the things that he's trying to do is he's trying to make things happen differently. So I just thought it was kind of a cool little layer to throw on there. Ultimately, it doesn't mean a whole lot in the the wider scheme of the story because it's not like Pike remembers for the majority of the episode what went down there the last time he was there. But going into it, I think the purpose that it served was to amplify the sense of danger. And for me, that worked. That's but cool. It's very so great way to use the canon. Yeah, your mileage may vary, but I think it's a solid way to invoke canon without being too intrusive, for what it's worth. Um, but let's move along with the plot. So, after the Enterprise arrives and the landing party heads to the surface, asteroids surrounding the planet that emit radiation and makes people forget who they are starts to impact the members of the crew on the surface. 
Captain Pike, Laon, and Dr. Mbenga discover that Zach Nguyen, an officer presumed dead on the previous mission to the planet, has become a despotic ruler. He enforces a caste system where laborers lose their memories every night, but he and his guards do not. Um, so this automatically falls into another well-worn Trek trope of an amnesiac episode. You know, there's, there's a long lineage of amnesiac episodes going back to TOS. So I guess my question for you guys is what did you make of the episode's use of memory loss as a storytelling device, particularly in comparison with other episodes of the franchise? Because it's like Memento pumped up to a planetary scale. Uh, so do you recall like the paradise syndrome in TOS or conundrum in next gen or twilight and enterprise? How does this episode compare with that kind of lineage? Kyle? Uh, you know, it, it fits in with most of that, I think pretty well and combines it with so the Voyager episode with the Ferengi from TNG, they go through that, the bars on wormhole end up right, yeah. rolling right. over a society. Right, right. When as it was happening, it was like I was watching it and I was enjoying it. I was along for the ride, as Cicero says for that one. But I was like, this keeps happening. People need to like (laughs) make a regulation or something. It's like if you get stranded on the planet, don't try to become the ruler. Like Starfleet handbook. But yeah, no, it was it was kind of a callback, or maybe the first time this has happened. I don't know. Yeah, well, at least it wasn't like the Omega Glory, where a, a celebrated historian recreates the Nazi state on another oh planet. God, like that. <laughs> Which, Maybe. by the way, that's that's ha- that's in the universe of Strange New Worlds somewhere. There's a Nazi planet. That's yes. true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Oh, John Gill, uh, Cicero. What did you make of of this as a as an addition? Like last last year, you know, we got like an asteroid episode right out of the gate in season right. one. How does this amnesiac episode uh, play into things in terms of a modern exploration of an old Trek trope? Well, I you know I kind of look at this like Lower Decks, right, where we get like they understand. They understand the the franchise. They understand the canon. So they understand the tropes. And one of the things that we're getting out of Strange New Worlds is like their take on the tropes, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this particular take on the amnesia trope was, was pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and, and, uh, I man, I, I thought it was I thought it was super compelling. I thought that the the performances again, you know, we I mean we 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 talked about in our last episode we talked about uh, the actor playing Jim Kirk and and what a great performance uh, he's he's doing. I, I I would just say that it's par for the course because every every particular you know every performer on this show is remarkable mm-hmm. um and and it, you know and i think our our principal cast is is incredible and the ones that we got to see on the planet were were just as spectacular as they always are um some of the guests weren't as good the, the actor who played zach um zach was a maybe it wasn't the actor maybe it was maybe it was the what was written 
for for the character Zach Let's was give him proper one. respect high lord zacharias yes high lord yeah. zacharias you're correct <laughs> i think i had a um, share to the dorm room with him or something right right <laughs> that was his xbox gamer tag right? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah he, he played me in nfl fever um, <laughs> but uh yeah i i just i don't know that i liked his portrayal but I, but I loved the the guy that was there that was helping them. The villager guy, yeah, yeah the villager yeah. guy, yeah. Like I, I just like he was so good that for a nanosecond I was like, oh man, maybe they're just going to be stuck here forever. Right? He was really like, good. This, yeah, this is you know this is their future, um, and so like. I dug it. I really did. I really did. And, you know, and, and and to a point, right? Like sometimes tropes suck, right? But sometimes yeah. sometimes tropes are like they're they're the you know they're the comfy comfy seat in the couch, right? Like they're sure. the yeah. they're the butt grooves, right? They're they're but- the, the piece of, right. They're they're the piece of nostalgia um, that that you know that you were that you were coming coming home to look for. Mm-hmm. And and it's nice to be able to sit back and say, oh yeah, you know, you know who I know does does a good time travel episode. I know Star Trek knows how to do time travel yeah. episodes. Yeah. So you know, let's. Oh, all right. You guys are gonna do a star time travel episode. Let's go. Right. Oh, oh, you're gonna do an amnesia episode. Let's go. Let's all go. Right. I will say this about Strange New Worlds. Whenever it does play with the trope from the franchise, like it somehow always feels fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're doing it, mm-hmm. but it feels like it doesn't feel well-worn or well-trodden. It feels like, oh, this is how it should go, you know? Right. Right. It wasn't like a trope from TNG that showed up in an early season of DS9 or Voyager where it felt like, well, TNG did this better. It actually mm-hmm. feels right. new. Uh, well, I think, not- I, think it ha- I think it has I think it has something to do with the fact that they don't have to churn out. 26 episodes sure right yeah. so it's, you know yeah, it's it, right it's it's not an idea factory they are able to take take some time and massage it let the people uh not kill themselves while they're producing this show absolutely right. um fun side note reed bernie who is the actor who plays luke in this episode he played john Hubolt. howbolt in probably my favorite hbo series maybe ever from the earth to the moon uh, John Hubel was a principal designer of the lunar module. That's and right. The episode of, I think it was episode 10 of from the earth to the moon. Maybe it was earlier called spider. It was mm-hmm. all about the design of the lunar module. He appeared there and that episode is so good. Great like episode. How, how the gears turn and how the, the actual mechanisms are supposed to work and the kinds of weird problems they had to solve the very practical problems they had to solve. Can't have giant windows. They're way too much. We can't launch that into space. Are you kidding me? So what do they do? Tiny windows that they're right up against so that they can see. It's, it's just, I love that episode. I think it's very good. Great series. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Tom Hanks. And many, many more. Um, well, let's, uh, let's move along with the plot. So the away team loses their memories and becomes laborers or become laborers. Hearing a legend that their memories are stored in Nguyen's castle, Pike fights his way inside, defeats Nguyen, and learns that the castle itself blocks the radiation. Again, 
this is one of those instances where plot is favored heavily over character in these descriptions. The landing party goes through an incredible ordeal on the surface, and one of the locals, Luke, who we've already mentioned, helps them acclimate to having lost memories. We also learn that he himself doesn't want his memories when he's given the potential opportunity to have them restored. But Pike innately and inherently knows that he and his people need them back in order to make progress. And he also comes away with an important embedded emotion uh, relating to Captain Battelle. Uh, but tell me what you guys thought about the journeys of the landing party over the course of this episode. Cause they were, you know, this is another one of the examples. I think Kyle, going back to one of our earlier conversations about stakes, you know, they are very localized. They're very isolated, but they feel personally profound for the characters mm-hmm. themselves, which I think is a good approach. Uh, Lawn seemed like she had the least to do, but we did just come off of a very big episode featuring her, while Dr. Mbenga showcases more of his solid constitution and Pike's leadership skills come through and all of these things are coming to the fore with no real memory of who they are. What did these journeys on the surface all mean for you guys, Kyle? I like, like, like you said, appropriate stakes and this question of what makes you, you, is it how you feel or is it what you remember of your own history? You wouldn't ever expect that to be separated thematically, sure. but this yeah. because of Star Trek, you get to play like that. It was it was great. Like I watched Discovery destroy the universe fifteen times over before <laughs> something that satisfying comes along. It's like we, you were worried about these guys, and I love uh, I forget the name of the actor. You just mentioned him, the the quote unquote villager, like the sort of like soft nihilism. Yeah. Of that lean into that you know like you, you don't you don't need to worry about that you can't do anything about that you can only be who you are in this moment i'm just like there's wisdom in there uh because he had to survive like that and like the guy's on screen for 15 minutes and we're getting right. like really lovely playful interesting thematic work like that it was classic trek in a way and maybe some commentary on you know class <laughs> economic <laughs> class Oh, totally. Um, and he also, in his performance, Ree Bernie, the actor, character Luke, made resignation to the moment seem almost noble. You know, yeah. it's it was a very interesting way to portray like what you're supposed to do in a situation where you have no resources and you can't rely on on your memory. Like, wh- how do you move forward? And the answer is. One day at a time, you know, or in this instance, one moment at a time, it seems, right? right? Yes, be in uh, the moment. Cicero. Yeah, be in the moment. Be in the moment. Yeah. What What? What else What else do you want from me? <laughs> well, said just, he, he's just, already forgotten. Right, right. right. I'm, I'm having a bad forgetting. Uh, it's a difficult <laughs> forgetting. So just your impressions, like how, how did the journey of the characters strike you, especially when it comes to like their interactions with Luke and, and kind of what they learned about themselves without really knowing who they are. It was, it was touching, right? Like, you know, and you said that like La'an didn't have a lot to do. um, But what we got from La'an was in the, in the absence of, of all the baggage of who she is, we just got to see what she is, right? right? Which is a fighter, a warrior, right? And that's when it, you know, when it came down to it, that's what she was about. And it, you know, and it almost killed her. Um, 
and you know, and we got to see Dr. Mbenga, who who um, was terrible at which which seemed kind of remarkable was terrible at at sawing through wood, considering that he's a surgeon, um, <laughs> but 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 was really good instinctively knowing that that someone was hurt and he knew what to do, right? He didn't know mm-hmm. he knew how to do it, um, but he knew what to do. But it, it, in the moments before that, their fear seemed real. Um, their confusion seemed real. Um, I, I really, I bought into where they were, what was going on. And I just, I didn't know how they were going to resolve this. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, and that was, that, that made for great storytelling and, and, you know, it made me, um, a, a grateful passenger on the ride that is, that was this episode. I, I really loved Captain Pike's line when they're out, um, sawing wood and banging on rocks. It reminds me of my time at Pizza Hut. It's like, do you see these hands? I'm not a laborer. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, true. You know, you know what it reminded me of? There was an experience that I had at a previous company that I worked at in Chicago as a reporter uh, focused on the aging population. And we had some subject matter experts come in uh, specifically for elder care. And it was about basically it was about developing empathy for people who have maybe cognitive disabilities or who might have a debilitating kind of uh, not injury, but condition that makes maybe causes pain in parts of their body, like neuropathy, you know, in your feet, like your feet just hurt. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did like this sensory deprivation exercise where we were given these insoles for our shoes and you know how when you put an insole in the right way they have sort of like cleats so that they stay in your shoe without moving they were turned upside down so the cleats were actually facing into our feet and we're put in our shoes we had to put on these heavily knit gloves with a couple of fingers sewn together and uh we had to put on um like uh, uh earmuffs and goggles that distorted our vision and they gave us instructions for accomplishing certain tasks at regular speaking volume and told us to go do it and i just remember being so clueless i couldn't Hmm. move really i couldn't see i couldn't hear my feet hurt and i was trying to remember precisely what the person was saying because i was trying to read her lips but i couldn't hear or, and, or even properly see her lips. And it was just, it, it was a very effective way to try and understand what someone who might have uh, a really hard time just hearing a simple instruction would, would be going through. And mm. I couldn't help but think of that moment when they started to have the panic seep in, because that's exactly how I felt. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm want like if you walk into a nursing home and you see a person wandering around in the hallway because they don't really know what they're doing or what they're where they're supposed to go. Like that's what I was doing. I was wandering to this clock and I was like, do I set the clock? Do I need to to put this in the sink? Like oh, and it's like the panic that sunk in in that moment. This episode evoked that brilliantly. Wow. Wow. And it, it made my pulse quicken a little bit. 
Uh, so, for if I closed my eyes for a second, I, I could have sworn you were in the trenches with me at Pizza Hut from the sound <laughs> of it. <laughs> I was at Little Caesars. Oh, oh gosh. So, it's the same. It's the same, right? It's like it's a nursing same, home, really. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Like, sprinkle the cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it's something else. Um, well, let's, uh, let's move along with the plot a little bit. So the crew on the enterprise also lose their memories, but pilot Erica Ortegas learns what her job is from the ship's computer and navigates away from the asteroids. She's one sentence for that whole. Anyway, the away team recovers their memories and they return to the enterprise. So again, the drama is totally lost in terms of the characters on the ship. In that description, we go from the early parts of the episode where the crew is doing what they always do, and they try to pragmatically find a way around their own memory loss, and they end up in like a pool of total helplessness, wandering the decks. And I really did think of of George Romero's Walking Dead or Walking Dead Dawn of the Dead, where you just see them kind of lumbering into each other in the mall. Like that's what they were doing on the enterprise. There's one guy in the fetal position on the floor, just like rocking back and forth, panicking. Uh, was it nurse chapel makes eye contact with, uh, with Eric Ortegas. And it just has this vacant, empty look on her face before she just wanders on to, to what's next or what she thinks is next. And we see all of this while focusing specifically on one character and her stakes with, with Ortegas. And I loved that, mm-hmm. you know, you can have this insanity going on all around you. As long as you have an anchor point to drive you through the drama, it works. And I felt like this episode accomplished that brilliantly. But Cicero, mm-hmm. what did you make of the, the, the events on the ship happening in the middle of everything going on on the planet? I understand from a storytelling standpoint that it was necessary for us to have that anchor. And, um, I enjoyed every bit of that. What I didn't understand from a pedantic um, point of view is why no one else had the wherewithal to do what Ortegas did, right? Talk to the computer. And the other thing that, uh, you know, again, to just to be pedantic about it is like, what what is what is the computer's role on this ship, right? What can the computer do? Because as they were realizing, you know, you, you've got number one Spock, uh, you know, essentially you've got the bridge crew together, um, the the remaining bridge crew together uh, in, in the ready room, trying to determine exactly what's going on. And, and they figure it out, right? They figure out that, Oh, we're losing our memories. We're all going to be, you know, we're all going to have our memories wiped from us. Um, and w- why at that point didn't they look to the ship's computer for assistance um, for helping them remember or helping to guide them in in some way, shape, or form? And so, like, that was something that I was holding on to while all of this, all of this stuff was happening. But at the same time, like the stuff that was happening was cool, was stuff that I enjoyed. I just couldn't stop myself from asking those questions and wondering why there wasn't an answer for those things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I see that. Kyle. Um, 
I loved the way that it was centered on Ortegas. I loved how organic it was where she was wandering around the ship and like she asked the next question that any of us might ask, like, where do I live? And right. And she had to struggle with the computer and let me show you some lights, you idiot human, you know, like <laughs> uh, I thought all that felt pretty, I felt like she got to relearn her job in an organic way too. Um, why didn't that happen to any of the other characters? I don't know. I think we're just centered on one and not, and not the other, you know, I think right. that maybe other characters plausibly were feeling that way or one or two were fi- like the, the salamander researcher on deck 12 was relearning, <laughs> you know, his acquaintance with spotted salamanders and like figuring it out, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that to, to talk uh, to the computer thing, Cicero, like I think you'd have to spend extra time explaining how the computer worked. Cause mm-hmm. is it an artificial intelligence? Isn't that a loaded thing right now? Like, right. We'd have, to, I don't know. And, and it's not impossible. Maybe they should have. And maybe the pads that they handed to each other sort of touches on that a little bit. But um, the computer didn't seem very helpful at all. It was like Microsoft Word. You know? <laughs> Clippy. Clippy right? shows yeah, up. It's is like, Clippy. are you trying to steal the starship? Yeah. Badger. Yeah. Yeah, oh, badgy. Um, yeah. I guess in the moment, the thing that I was thinking was just the, the, the way that the other crew members were reacting, they seemed so debilitated that it didn't seem like it even occurred to them to, to think about speaking to the voice that is in the walls. Like she, Ortega's kind of happened into that. Like she wasn't seeking that out either, but she just like, hello, ma'am. Right. What she, she <laughs> so she just kind of stumbled into the computer and started a conversation with the computer in a way that the other crew members didn't. And then by the time she gets in her quarters and is cowering from the collisions outside, she ultimately does come to with the computer's help, the realization that the only person who can get them out of there is her. So I think that was where the separation was. That's not a total excusing of the lack of the agency of everybody else on the ship Mm. conceivably there could have been a couple of other people that might have done the same thing not the least of whom being spock arguably yeah but uh you know spock had other things to do but at the end of the day too what is the show trying to do and i think it was trying to give us a, a moment of connection and empathy with Ortegas that maybe we hadn't gotten before. And in that respect, from at least from my vantage, mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Apparently she flies the ship. She flies the ship. The mantra, you know, uh, there is something that is so inherently human about using the mantra and sticking to it. Rachel is teaching our daughter Esri a mantra because we're trying to teach her to just stay in her bed. Cause now it's just a rail and she can get out of it. And Rachel has tried to tell her, you don't need to get out of your bed. What's your mantra? Esri is safe. Mommy is near. And my blankie is so comfortable <laughs> working so far. So there you go. The, strength, right. the strength of mantras. Um, so yeah, Ortegas comes through. She flies the ship. Um, what about what we see here from Spock and Chapel in particular? Because I feel like those are the two other characters that we spent the most time with aboard the Enterprise in this moment. 
anything strike you guys about them in particular, Kyle? Uh, not really. Like you, uh, Ch- you, you saw Chapel kind of wrestle a bit with not being able to provide the answers. She felt like she was in over her head, like she was yeah. missing Doctor Mbanga. There was a hint of that. It wasn't explicit. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what to do with that. Does she feel that way normally about medical situations? I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think the juxtaposition too, from like being the pragmatic problem solver to having that vacant expression mm-hmm. of total helplessness amplified the the urgency of the moment. Uh, yeah. What about you, Cicero, when it comes to Chapel or Spock or anybody else aboard? Uh, I I love how much of a red herring um, Spock's brilliant idea of having the data pads with your information on it really became right. Like he he as he's not remembering, he's like, oh hey, here's this data pad, and it's got stuff on it, but I can't read it. I don't know why he can't read it. Like all of a sudden he can't read English. Yeah, um, yeah I guess so. You know, but if he can't read English, how is he commu- like is the universe I guess the universe communicator still working? So he's be he's able to communicate with Ortegas. Why didn't he ask Ortegas to read it? Um, who knows? Right? Like it was it just it just became a goofy red herring, um, which was which was funny in the moment, right? Like uh, like it's it's I'm Monday morning quarterbacking all of this stuff right now. <laughs> in the moment I didn't care. Uh, as soon as we're done with this, I won't care either. I love the episode. I loved what they did with it. And, um, you know, and I wouldn't change a thing, right? Like, you know, I, I've got to be critical. Cause, of course. Uh, I'm I love how uh, Spock, so, so Spock had two suggested solutions to situations that are happening and they both were completely ineffective. Yeah. And the guy on the planet who's actor, the actor, I forget his name again. Reed Burnham. Uh, Reed yeah. Bernie, Reed Bernie, Kyle, you idiot. Um, <laughs> he's like, you gotta, you gotta trust the feeling when it's there. If you feel yeah. it, it means something. And Spock is like, feelings aren't facts. And like the pad was like just firing blanks, you know, like Spock was unable to, he was unable to do anything on this episode. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, f- facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's mind. Thanks Spock. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, well, rounding things out, Pike has the main asteroid pulled out of orbit, ridding Rigel seven of the radiation and restoring the laborers memories. And he apologizes to captain Patel and they resume their relationship. Very, it's like that was written by an AI, very cold, truthful, factual statement about what happens. Um, there was a thread introduced in the middle of the episode with Luke, with the character played by Reed Bernie where he describes not wanting his memories because you mm. can't, even though I don't remember, I still feel pain. Mm-hmm. And I think it has something to do with my past. And then at the end of the episode, again, caliber of the performer, he's just like overflowing with emotion over his memories and they are painful, but he's also happy to have them back. Like he, he realizes now that he knows and has a complete picture of who he is and who he was, that that's something that's important to him and that he wants to hold on to it. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, you have Pike coming to the uh, 
uh, realization about how important Captain Battelle clearly is to him because she ended up being the North Star that helped guide him to an ultimate solution because of that, like you said, Kyle, that emotional truth. Um, how does all of this come together uh, as we end the episode here? Cicero, what, what was going through your mind when, when all of these things were, were taking place? You know, I almost would rather have had Luke be pissed with Pike as a result of him being forced to remember against his will. Mm. Um, Because he knew, it reminds me, so when I was eight or nine years old, my parents, we flew out to California for the first time. I went to Disneyland. I also went to Knott's Berry Farm. And I, at, you know, at that point I hadn't, I didn't ride roller coasters. I thought they were scary, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, my parents were together and my mom wanted to ride this roller coaster at Knott's Berry Farm. That was, uh, it was one of those roller coasters that does a loop and then it goes up and then it goes backwards and it does the same thing in reverse, you know, rides that track in reverse and then it comes to a stop. And my mother really wanted to ride this, but I was she. It was just me and her, so she had to take me on the ride. So she she did her best job of trying to convince me that this was going to be a fun time for me, and I insisted that it was not going to be. And um, she took me on the ride, and you know we go on the ride. And we go up and we have, you know, we do the loop and we come back and we go around and I had a great time and it was, it was wonderful. And she was right. Wrong. Of course not. We went on that ride and the second it went down, I started screaming and then it did the loop and I was okay with that. And then it went up and it went backwards and I just lost it. I, it was, it was the worst experience of my life. I knew it was going to be bad. Uh, you know, I told her going in, that it was going to be bad and I didn't want to do it. And I was right. And that's what I wanted Luke to say Mm, at that particular moment, right? Like that, that there was a reason I have, I've scratched out whatever was on my arm Mm. so that I couldn't be reminded of it because I know that it was painful. And now that I have my memories of it, it is, it is beyond painful because it is, this family that I've lost that I will never be able to see again. And now I have to relive that pain. And I would have loved to have had Pike have to deal with, or I thought, I, I, I guess for me, I think it would be an interesting choice to have Pike have to deal with the fact and have us have to deal with the fact that even with the best of intentions, hmm. sometimes you don't know better than the person who is telling you they don't want something. Right. You yeah. know? And that would fill in, that would fit in line with uh, that, that character's philosophy about right. dealing with the forgetting. For those of 100%. you that are, that are listening this far, like discovery debrief people, you, you just gotten Cicero's villain origin story. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Rachel has a similar one that she could tell if she were here. Right directed at me oh all right all right in my defense she went on that roller coaster once before and had a great time but the second time was no bueno so (laughs) yeah well i'll I'll have to have her recount that 
that, that that'll might be cathartic for her, or maybe she doesn't want to revisit. Maybe she wants to forget. We'll see. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Kyle, how about you? How does how does everything come together for you in these final, rather dramatic moments where people are reacquainting themselves with who they were? I I think it was interesting. Read Bernie. That that whole moment, I think, was an interesting choice. And Cicero's description of how maybe that should have been different also would have been an interesting choice. I think that I don't. Maybe there wasn't a wrong move for that character in this moment. And I'm still sort of sitting with what it means for Pike and Mbenga and um, not Lon. I'm, you know, did they fi- figure out a truth about who they were? Pike did. Um, I'm not sure, but it reminds me, the whole thing reminds me of that line uh, Captain Kirk gave us in Star Trek V. Uh, I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. It's like the whole episode yeah. is sort of like, who, you're not, who are you without, you know, those, the, the where memory and emotion connect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, I don't know, the word might not be the most applicable one, but I, I guess a degree of emotional maturity that comes with that connection and how you make sense of it. You know, that's something that I certainly found a lot of, uh, a a lot of fascinating storytelling potential in that. I think the episode mostly delivered on, um, and is definitely a good exercise in terms of the lineage of amnesiac episodes that we've had in the franchise before more than worthy addition to, to that legacy. That's for sure. So, Agreed. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, that's pretty much all we have for, for this one. I think, um, is there anything that I missed that you gentlemen think I should, uh, double back on, or are there any additional final perspectives that you have on this episode before we close out for the night? Um, I don't, but I am curious. I mean, we see a piece of your bed in the background. I've got a, a Horgon statue and a PlayStation five. What's going on back there? Oh, uh, what do I have? Oh, no, that's an Xbox controller. Oh, okay. uh, I came back from a vacation recently, and I had the good fortune of of reading comic books on the beach, and it was The the Flash Omnibus by Mark Wade. Wow. Wow, Uh, that's massive. It was about like three years worth of of comics in in one oversized hardcover edition book as a run from the 90s. Very, very good. Uh, so lots of stuff going on back here. We're yeah, unpacking. I, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, didn't mean to pry, but you know, once no, I saw the statue, I was like, what kind of, what, you know, anyway, you should see the sir. stuff that I have on my desk. You know, like I've got, I've got all sorts of fun oh. things over here. Like a crossing like, the streams, an yeah. elegant weapon of a more civilized age. And yeah. of course, a prized possession of mine, a TOS oh. communicator that I could connect to my phone if I want to, and I could call you gentlemen on it and talk that way and not really? get weird looks from people. Yeah. This was made by the wand company back in 2016. Uh, it was molded from one of the few remaining hero props. Uh, it's not Kydex, obviously it's molded plastic, but like the band around is metal. The, the, the grill is antenna. Huh. The grill is antenna. the The antenna grill is also metal. The moray pattern that I think on the original prop was made with a watch battery uh, also moves in here when you have it turned on. 
it has phrases and yeah, I can connect this on Bluetooth and use it just as a Bluetooth speaker, but I could also talk into it too, which is fun. Wild. Chris is holding a TOS communicator. That's yes. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. It's fun. It's Radio delightful. is the theater of the mind. well gentlemen uh thank you for going on this marathon with me i appreciate it we're now caught up at least until gosh tomorrow we've got a new episode coming (laughs) amanda grayson is is back uh same performer who played her in discovery which should be cool to see no Hmm. sarek so we're definitely lining up with journey to babel in terms of spock's relationship with his father but uh, it'll be fun to to talk more strange new worlds. I'm loving this show. I'm so glad it's back, and I'm it's good. Glad you guys are here too. But we will certainly be back. We are celebrating a rather momentous uh, turning of uh, of the key here at Discovery Debrief because the next time we come to you will be our hundredth episode. Uh, I don't know if we're planning anything special for it. I think we're just going to do an episode discussion. <laughs> but you know. We'll mark it in the moment. We'll try to, to, to get some friends back if we can. And uh, Kyle, is there anything else you wanted to add in terms of where people can find you compared to what you just said an hour ago? Uh, no, trexpertise.com. I'm not on threads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. You know, best of luck to... Uh, I am on threads. You can find me on threads. <laughs> no. There you go. I'm on thread. Whatever that means. I'm on I don't know what it means. I don't yeah. know what it means either. We'll see. Nothing means anything when it comes to yeah. this stuff. I think that yeah. Star Trek has taught us that much. But uh, <laughs> that is going to do it for episode number 99 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels, which currently do not include threads. If you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute and let us know if you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter and who knows, maybe threads at some point at DSC Debrief and feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name enterprise as always though until we meet again please go boldly my friends (laughs) 